Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The outfield celebration dance can commence. That was always so cool to watch last year. The three guys bumping bodies in the outfield. Uh, What a play by Jackie Bradley Jr. to save a game. A long Mookie Betts home run, a winning home run from Andrew Benintendi. So since all three outfielders were heroes Wednesday night, yeah, go ahead and dance. Do that thing. And uh, Chris Sale, whatever you want to do, that's fine, too, because you struck out 14 and walked no one in eight innings. A lot to tell you about. What a ball game in Baltimore. Sox win it in 12. This is Sox Daily. It's your Daily Sox podcast. It's your Daily Sox podcast. A lot to unpack. I'm going to try to do it as quick as I can. The Red Sox, obviously, today it's all about the White House or not going to the White House, but as everybody debates that and wants to make that a big deal, let's talk about one of the most scintillating ball games that the season has seen so far. It took until this, the 38th game for the Red Sox to pull themselves up to 19 and 19, and it was because number 19 made the play of the year. Jackie Bradley Jr. saved the game, a Spider-Man wall-crawling catch to take one away from Trey Mancini, who was bidding to win it with one out in the bottom of the 11th, One of the more remarkable catches that Jackie Bradley Jr.'s made. He sprinted 91 feet, we're told, braced himself against the wall, reached up right in front of the Baltimore bullpen guys and brought it back to keep the game alive. Andrew Benintendi would eventually win it in the 12th with a home run after he had been 0 for 5. Red Sox having squandered multiple opportunities throughout the game. They never did have a hit with a runner in scoring position. But Benintendi's blast broke it open. Heath Hembree had to come on for the save in the 12th. He had never done that before. His first ever Major League save, all he did was strike out the side. No big whoop. And in fact, 22 strikeouts in this game. That is thought to be the second most ever in one game by a Red Sox team in a game of any length. The old record, well, still the record, is 24 strikeouts. That was against the the Tampa Bay Rays a couple Septembers ago. They got 24 in 15 innings, but this was 22 in 12. So if you want to do it as a ratio, a per kind of thing, that is the record. Another record was tied. Chris Sale on his way to those 14 strikeouts in eight innings and a no-hitter, by the way, into the sixth. He had an immaculate seventh inning, went kind of under the radar on us, but sure enough, Nine pitches to get the three strikeouts. Only Pedro and Clay Buckholes and Kimbrell and Porcello had ever done that, at least as far as we know, in Red Sox history. Sale did it in this game. He did it after the Orioles tied him up in the sixth. We mentioned he had taken a no-hitter into the sixth inning, but Rickard, a clean single up the middle with two out. Trey Mancini doubled him in, and it's almost like Sale just decided to get mad and get even with the immaculate inning. He would close with a couple of strikeouts, too. That's how he started the night. He struck out... VR and Rickard to start his night. 
He struck out the same two dudes to end his night. He threw 95 miles an hour to VR in the eighth inning, by the way. 24 swings and misses total. That is his high for the year by far. Remember those first couple games where we were saying, is he ever going to get a swing and miss with the fastball? Got a few of those tonight. 95 and 96 mile an hour fastballs and a slider with a lot of tilt to it. Back to Jackie Bradley Jr. Again, his defensive artistry was a big part of it, and we caught up with him right after the game. Well, the man who saved the game is with us tonight. And Jackie Bradley Jr. made one of the most sensational catches we've ever seen to rob Trey Mancini of a home run in the last of the 11th inning. Jackie, uh, I can't uh, rank your catches. There have been so many uh, wonderful ones, but uh, this was really special. What did you think when it left the bat? Um, thank you. Uh, I mean, off the bat, I knew it, it had a chance, but um, with the trajectory, I felt like I could get back there in enough time in order to attempt to make a play, and um, I was able to get back there and execute. How important is it, Jackie, to know the ballpark a little bit? You've certainly, it's not your first rodeo here in Baltimore, but it looked like you knew exactly how to brace yourself and and where to get. Yeah, yeah, I think having familiarity with um, a ballpark is is huge. Um, It allows you to, you know, time up your footsteps and, you know, get things going and, you know, feel comfortable going back there on the track. Well, you covered something like 90 feet. It was just so perfect the way you had that hop, skip, and jump and braced yourself uh, with your right hand to, to jump up and backhand. Yeah, uh, like I said, I think it goes with the familiarity of, of the ballpark and kind of kind of knowing where you are. Um, I obviously looked back at the wall, and I knew how many steps I needed to take in order to um, you know, time my steps to get up there and make a play. And you didn't show the ball right away. Umpire waited a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, just wanted to take a look at it and see what the baseball looks like. <laughs> what, what did it sound like? What, what did the Orioles guys in the bullpen have to say to you? Um, actually, as I was running back, I saw them stand up and kind of put their hands up in the, the air as to say it was going to be a homer. And then um, they, they sat down after I made the catch. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it was pretty cool to be able to do that. And obviously, you know, we were able to win tonight. Well, it was uh, great to see your dad at the hotel today. And uh, to watch his reaction after you made that catch. I know his phone was blowing up and everybody was hugging him. Oh, yeah. I have to ask him about it. But it was uh, he's always glad to see you as well. Jackie, last one for you. And I know this, I mean, maybe it's just kind of baby steps or whatever. But you, you saw in five at-bats tonight, five plate appearances, you saw 35 pitches. I mean, you are working these guys over. Do, do you feel like you're close? I mean, you're, you're having good quality at-bats. I know you're not hitting what you want to be hitting, but it just seems like you're really close. Time will tell. Um, I'd like to tell you I can predict the future, but um, I'm just going to continue to work and um, see what happens. And how about uh, Benny? Uh, he didn't have a hit, and then he golfed that low pitch and hit it out to send us home, as it turned out. Yeah, this is a, a great sign of a, uh, a great player um, to be able to, uh, do what he did at the beginning of the game and then come through uh, when we needed him most. What did Chris Sale look like from your vantage point in center field? He looked great. He looked great. He was attacking the strike zone with all his pitches, uh, making pitches when he needed to, and, and he obviously gave us a chance to win the ball game. Are you ready to write the catch yet? <laughs> Not yet. I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jackie, congratulations. I said many times, the best outfield I've ever seen, and uh, that's proved again tonight. Thanks. Appreciate <laughs> it. So there's one interview for you. Thought you'd like to hear as well from, oh, maybe, I don't know, 
You want to hear from Chris Sale? Because he was great. Here you go. Feel good. I just I feel like over, over the last few starts, my fastball commands really helped me out a lot. I think that was kind of my problem before, along with some other issues. But um, you know, fastball command has, has been there. They weren't even come close, coming close to getting hits this first five. And you thinking no hitter at all? Or you were <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard not to. Um, but at the same time, you know, you got a one-run game, so you can't really get caught up in in that kind of stuff. So. Um, you know, Sandy was right on point, you know, from from the get-go. Um, you know, just throwing down all the right fingers and, I mean, really just made one, one just one big mistake, and that was uh, obviously the change-up to Mancini. Uh, just kind of cut it off a little bit, but um, other than that, we were we were dialed in. What's that feel like to pitch the nine-pitch nine uh, three-strikeout in there? <laughs> that was cool. Um yeah, I, I obviously saw saw Rick and, and Craig do it a couple of years ago. Um, I had one other chance when I was in Chicago to do it, and I didn't. Um, so I knew, you know, I got I got two outs, and I was like, all right, just keep throwing strikes. Either give up a hit or foul ball or something. Don't don't ball it. So uh, that, that's cool. That's something that you know it's it's interesting, um, but I appreciate it. You had talked earlier about how you know how eager you were, how how you viewed it as your responsibility to give innings, to have one like this where you know through the last you know through the eighth inning you're you're being able to pitch at that level, you know how how and one that ends in a win. How satisfying was this in terms of your outings this year? Um, it's up there, you know. I obviously over my last few starts, I wanted to fill up innings. You know, I've I've leaned on that bullpen way more than I wanted to early on in the year and it obviously was really ugly I mean you guys saw it so um, you know over my last few I've, I've wanted to you know get deeper in the game and save those guys because you know they've been working their butts off and they've been doing a heck of a job for us this year and you know obviously the fresher we can keep them uh, you know the better off we are as a whole so um, obviously we got extended tonight and they kept throwing up zeros like they usually do so um, you know it's it's nice to be able to Try to get extended in the games and, and keep those guys out there, you know, instead of in the game. Where, where were you when Jackie made that catch? Were you in the dugout or in the air? I was uh, I was in here. I was in the food room. Um, I mean, it's, it's just added to the list, you know. I mean, it just seems like, you know, he saved the game right there. I mean, if you don't catch us, the game's over. So um, that's why you, you love having him out there. And, you know, he just, just looks like, He's supposed to do it. I mean, even after the catch, he's, you know, no emotion. It's like, yeah, I was <laughs> planned on it. So, um, but yeah, you, you love seeing that. And I think that obviously gives everyone a boost when, when stuff like that happens. Beyond the fastball command, what's kind of been different for you the last four starts? Um, just getting in sync, um, you know, my delivery, um, just, just some other things. Just, I would say the biggest thing is, is the fastball command. Uh, feeling good within my you know, within the delivery and, and just good tempo. Just getting getting a rhythm and trying to find a groove and, and keep it going. Um, that's kind of the name of the game, so just try to keep riding that. How does it feel to get back to 500 with this one tonight? Uh, it's big. You know, I think I think it's a, a big step in the right direction. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously trending upwards, so, you know, this is this is what we know we could have done the whole the whole year. You know, we you know, obviously kind of slipped out of the gate, but... Um, you know, like I've said this entire time, we know who we are. We know who we have in this in this clubhouse, and we know what we can do on a baseball field. And 
you know, we're, we're starting to put it all together collectively as a group, and, um, you know, it's fun. You know, we had a good road trip, and now we uh, head back to the house you know, on, a, on, a, on a high note. Chris Sale, eight innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, 14 strikeouts. So for the two games of the road trip, that's 14 innings. He allowed six hits, he walked one, and he struck out 24. Absolutely ridiculous, and he always seems to pitch well in Baltimore. He certainly did that in the game on Wednesday night. As for Alex Cora, man, he's certainly going to be probably hiding from his phone as the Thursday White House visit goes. Uh, We're not going to get into that right here. We're just going to let you hear from Alex about the game, which was some kind of game, four hours and one minute. And here's a manager talking about what went right at the end. Unreal. Unreal. That's why we know know the value. We know what he brings defensively every night. And regardless of where he's at offensively, that shows up. And, uh, you know, he saved the game with that play. Um, the things that he does in the outfield, you know, it, it's a plus for, for what we do. And <clears throat> that's why we have to be patient. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't look great offensively, but, you know, today he, he walked, he, he worked the count and all that. And we know that at one point he's going to get hot, but defensively he's a plus guy. Amazing, amazing. Um, you know, um, for everybody that was worried about velocity and all that, well, he went eight, you know, and he had a good slider and he located his fastball. And in this business, you got to be patient. And we've been patient. Um, the results, obviously, we don't want to be playing 500 right now, but we're playing 500. And uh, you know, it's kind of like ironic that we play Seattle on Friday playing 500 baseball. That's when, you know, we started the season in Seattle. And that happened. Now, hey, I don't want to say the season starts Friday, but it starts Friday. <laughs> How pleased have you been with the bullpen? Amazing, amazing. Uh, you know, like, this, this was very gratifying today. You know, like, uh, there's been a lot of talk about what's going on tomorrow and the clubhouse and divided and, and race and politics, whatever. Those kids went out there and they played the heart out, you know, and... Uh, we know who we are in the clubhouse. I know a lot of people doubt that. But, you know, like we did last year, we cancel the noise. We show up every day and we play. You know, and uh, I was watching the game. I was like, you know what? Yeah, this is cool for everybody that is talking about us and the situation and and crushing us, you know, throughout the week. Well, they play extra innings. They didn't give in. And you see them in the clubhouse, you know. Uh, they're celebrating Heath because of the first save, celebrating Jackie, and now we go. There's a group that is going home. There's a group that is going to the White House. And on Friday, we get back, and we get back to playing baseball. Alex, off the bat, did you think that ball would be caught? Uh, I thought, I thought, I, th- I didn't thought it was going to be a homer, you know. I, th- I thought it was a ball in the gap, so. But I had a feeling he was going to catch it. He had a great jump. What's the, what's the feeling like in the dugout? Amazing, 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 yeah. The whole game was amazing. What's been the difference for Chris the last four stars compared to his first four stars? I mean, slowly but surely, you know, like mechanics, location, the slider, velocity. It was around this time last year, you know, and uh, just the results didn't work out in the beginning, you know, and you got to give credit to the opposition. You know, he went to Seattle and he gave it up. He lost a one nothing game in uh, in Oakland. He lost a game against Toronto. That they hit five singles. You know, well, you just got to see the game without emotion and, and really dissect the game. You know, and we do that. 
when Chris and Mookie started to heat up, does it feel like this this team is starting to click in a way that it did? Not yet. Not yet. We're just playing good baseball right now. Well, we can be better. You chuckle a lot when you hear that Jackie's defensive metrics are, are way down. I mean, does that kind of match up with the way you see with your eyes? Or? No, I mean, I think the wall in Fenway goes against him. There's some play. I mean, he can't rob a homer in Fenway, so that goes against him. We're good. Thank you. All right, that's Alex Cora, who, of course, is not going to the White House today. Not something we need to do a deep dive on, other than to say this issue is not fracturing the clubhouse like some people out there think it is. I got to wondering what the Earl of Baltimore, Earl Weaver, would have said about all this if he were still alive. And uh, talking about Weaver allows us down a rabbit hole here to end the podcast. I want to take five or six minutes, whatever this is going to be, to, to talk a little bit about how the sport has evolved kind of tracing back in part to, uh, of all people, the little bantam rooster whose number four is retired here in Baltimore. Earl Weaver uh, introduced the radar gun. That was back in 1972. I mean, the radar gun existed. It just had nothing to do with baseball. And Earl was the first guy really interested in hitter-pitcher matchups, too. He was way ahead of his time. And from there, Tony Gwynn popularized the use of videotape in the 80s, breaking down his swings. Now you walk into a big league clubhouse, everyone is locked in on a computer screen breaking down something, either something they're doing or something their opponent is doing. And it's kind of strange to me because for years, technology has traveled kind of from the top down. But this time, the tech boom goes from the bottom up. You've got private baseball labs like Driveline in Seattle, which are huge now. And not only are players more comfortable with all this technology, they're more curious about all this. They want to know why about everything. J.D. Martinez is probably the poster child for that. And you look around baseball, the Rays have a, a process and analytics coach in uniform, a guy named Jonathan Ehrlichman, who was a math major at Princeton. It sounds like he was. A guy never played beyond t-ball. When the Astros posted a job for minor league hitting coach this past winter, the job description they posted was to analyze hitter performance deficiencies using tools, reports, and technology. Must have strong computer skills and be proficient in Microsoft Office. Technical degree a plus. SQL and R coding skills also a plus. Uh, Charlie Lau and Walter Reniak would not have gotten an interview. And uh, so I've been thinking about modern-day baseball and obviously how now it's all about the home run and the strikeout and getting five good innings from your starter Mike Hargrove, of all people, has said he finds the games these days too long and boring. That's the guy that was a human rain delay. The game has just changed so much. There was a day last year where 15 games were played, there were seven grand slams hit, and there were no triples. 28 days in a row last year, somebody hit at least two home runs in a game somewhere in the majors. Two home runs in a game used to be a really big deal. Justin Turner just the other night had three, and we shrugged. I mean, it was, that was not even a... Uh, a subheadline anywhere. So I know it's called baseball. I'm wondering if, if really now it's easier just to refer to it as plate ball because everything happens pretty much around home plate. That's it. Either you swing from your heels like you're one of those softball guys that, that gets trotted out to, to hit moonshots as, as like entertainment, uh, or it's a strikeout baseball implies that the action's happening on the bases. And other than maybe the Kansas City Royals, who are hitting a bunch of triples and stealing bases, that's baseball. They're a team that's actually doing that. Everybody else, it's plate ball. And the lack of contact, you know, we don't need to be curmudgeons about it. It just is. I mean, the strikeout rate has increased 13 years now in a row. It's going to be 14. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's close to 23% of all plate appearances now. Ends in a strikeout. Last year, you probably know the first season in history, there were more strikeouts than hits in the World Series. It was 109 strikeouts, 76 hits. So there, there are so many things that are just different than when we were growing up. Uh, I mean, I'm 50. I'm not 100. But hitters see 15% more breaking balls now than they did just four years ago. And they still can't hit them. The last four years, the Major League batting average on breaking balls has been 214, 215, 217, 212. Two strike hitting is not a thing anymore. Last year, the batting average with two strikes was 173. Never seen it that low. Uh, 12 years ago, it was 196. I, I know when my dad was eight or nine, the, the major league leader in strikeouts was Roy Smalley Sr. He had 114. Last year, there were, there were players with 114 strikeouts by the middle of July. And I know things are so different. There are hard-throwing pitchers now everywhere. Uh, the number of major league pitchers with, uh, well, let's see, with at least 10 innings last year that threw their fastball at 95 or more, it was 160 of them last year. 2010, there were only 59 of them. You go back to, to 2002, there were 11 of them. I mean, that's, that's 15 times more in basically 15 years. And the result of that, it ties in with what we just talked about. You had, back in 08, you had about 132,000 balls that were put in play in the majors. Ten years later, that number was down to 120,000. So 12,000 cracks of the bat silenced, mostly because of strikeouts. And, you know, not everyone has a, a Jordan Hicks or a Roldis Chapman throwing 104, but almost everybody's got somebody throwing 98 or 99. And I go to what the noted pitching guru Tom House has said. It's like the four-minute mile. First, everyone said it would never be done. Then once it was broken, it was broken incrementally many times after that. Uh, you, you can't just talk in 2019 the way you talked about pitching and hitting in even 2012. Your pitcher wins is like that. It's like telling people, okay, take out your flip phones and let's try something called texting. It's, I mean, there are things we, we now have to do today to get our vernacular right, knowing that today's pitcher trains smarter and eats smarter and benefits from the advances in video that we've been talking about. Uh, their deliveries are, I don't want to say um, less interesting they're more kinetically efficient, though. You'd never see the, the Louis Tiant corkscrew wind up today. It's now back to what you had basically in the 40s and 50s. It's no load, low torque thing. Everything's slow and deliberate, making sure that it's, it's in sync until the last possible moment. There's no need for the, uh, the hand over the head wind up and the, the big rocket style leg kicks. Everything is just clean, straight lines now. And I, I guess this is just kind of understood that, you know, the, the, you got a bunch of robots now that are pitching. I mean, they, they all kind of look the same with their delivery. They can all throw at 95-plus. Everybody's in there, from a hitting standpoint, breaking down their swing and trying to figure out the right launch angle. And the managers are in on it. The general managers are in on it. I mean, these are the general managers anyway, pretty much all guys. And this is not a, a jock versus nerd thing. It's just a progress thing. But... 30 general managers, right? You got 13 of them who've gone to Ivy League schools. Five of them went to Harvard. Two of them have degrees from the Kellogg School of Management. You got a couple law degrees in there. You got one guy with a degree in science from MIT and a PhD in economics from Berkeley. You got one guy who began at Baseball Info Solutions, the baseball data company. Uh, you know, they, they come from everywhere now. One, one guy started working in the mailroom who was a GM. 
Only one of the 30 GMs right now actually played Major League Baseball, and that's Jerry Depoto. That brings us to the Red Sox' next opponent. This weekend, Seattle comes in, and Jerry Depoto, as you might know, has been trading and swerving around with his roster so much, it's like he's dropped acid or something. He was tinkering like a mad scientist, and he's found a couple things that have helped this year. Uh, mostly launch angle guys. Jay Bruce has 11 home runs, although somehow only five singles. The veteran Edwin Encarnacion has come in, and he's hit 11 home runs against one double. Mitch Hanniger's a nice piece for them. D. Gordon's even hit three home runs this year for them. The catcher they got from the White Sox, Omar Narvaez, uh, he's had a nice year. They are a defensive embarrassment. We need to point that out. We saw that kid, Dylan Moore, nearly cost him a game way back in March. He made three errors in one inning against the Sox. Tim Beckham can kick it around with the best of them, so on and so forth. There are 42 errors or most in the league. Anyway, the, the Friday game back at Fenway matches Eduardo Rodriguez against rookie Eric Swanson. Rodriguez coming off six strong innings at Chicago, and it helped that the Red Sox had 15 runs for him by the middle of the ballgame. Boston's actually won Eddie's last five starts now. Swanson's a 25-year-old from Ohio, 1-3-4-74 since coming up from Tacoma. So uh, here are the Red Sox with their shot to get up above 500 this weekend. That's before a two-game series with the Colorado Arenados and then the showdown with the Astros the following weekend. So there you have it, the Thursday podcast, to which we'll have to tide you over for a while. The team is off today to either go to the White House or not go to the White House, which, of course, is a, a whole other podcast entirely. Thanks so much for listening. This is Josh Lewin. Talk to you soon. It's called Socks Daily. Tell your friends. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.